Welcome to Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 85. Once again, my great pleasure to be back with you today. Our wonderful millennial co-host, Gina Pirro, St. Francis College, class of 2017, is with us, as well as our IT expert, Helena Bronkovic, peer counselor at St. Francis College. The purpose of Thank God for Monday is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Audience, it's really up to you as to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. March is a very, very special month. It's Social Work Month. And as such, we are very honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Steuben Vega. He is the Deputy Director of the Workforce Unit at the Osborne Association. Hello and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Stephen. Uh, thank you, Brother Gregory, you know, for, for having me um, and for the elegant introduction. I mean, really excited to be here. And thank you, Sister Gina and Helena as well for, you know, for your support in this. The pleasure is all ours, Helena, Gina, and myself certainly today. Uh, kindly share with us, please, Stupin, from what city you're speaking from. So, yeah, I'm currently speaking from out of the Bronx. Um, I'm originally from Brooklyn, but I'm currently doing this, uh, having this conversation now from the Bronx. You mentioned you grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, did you receive your primary and secondary education there as well, or was there uh, somewhere else? No, so I did. I did begin. Um, I, I'm I, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, um, not too far from St. Francis, um, in the neighboring projects over there <clears throat> called the Farragut Houses, which is really really close to the Brooklyn Navy Yard and towards uh, the Dumbo section, um, you know. And I grew up there. I went to public school there, junior high school, and then I uh, for high school I went to Manhattan to Park West High School for approximately one to two years. I think it was here for my sophomore year and junior year and for my senior year I transferred back to Brooklyn to my zone high school uh eastern district which was a decision that I made to kind of be around my friends and closer to home because Manhattan really didn't know anything about Manhattan and who lived out there at the time but um that's that's how my schooling um took place in, in Brooklyn for that part I've learned, certainly, I grew up in what some people say is a foreign country in New Jersey. Sorry about that, Jerseyites, but uh, I've learned the hard way. There is no place in the world like Brooklyn, uh, that's for sure. Now, let's go back to when you were a high school graduate. Uh, Steuben, where did you work and what did you do? Um, from from high school, I had some I had some short-lived uh, jobs. I had worked at a retail store, Canal Jeans in Manhattan, over there on Broom Street, Broom between Broadway between Broom and Spring. Um, I don't believe it's there any longer, um, but I worked there once as a, as a 
manager for the, the, the Levi department, um, which was the clothing, the clothing section for Levi's. Uh, and then um, out, once I graduated from Eastern District, I began working for UPS, the United Parcel Service, um, over there in Maspeth, Queens, where I was a, a sorter. Well, before sort, I was a person who loaded the trucks and unloaded the trucks, but that was very short-lived. That lasted for like maybe about two weeks. And then immediately the supervisor there, I guess, maybe saw some value in me. I'm not sure. And made me a sorter. And a sorter is a person who actually looks at the zip codes to the, to the packages that are coming through. And then you just send them down different chutes. The dock I worked at was uh, Long Island. Uh, and so I had to know the zip codes uh, for both Nassau and Suffolk County. At the time, I knew it. Now, I wouldn't know anything about it. But <laughs> I did that job for um, several months. Um, unfortunately, I got into trouble there. Um, and so I lost my job there. Uh, and from there, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was it was actually reversed. I worked at UPS first out of high school, then Canal Jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then got laid off for Canal Jeans and uh. had some challenges securing employment at that time. And, and another side of me was also not in so much of a rush uh, to seek employment. Um, but at that time, I was living on my own. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I think I shared this in, a, in with, with a previous interview that I had in St. Francis was that, um, you know, I, gr- I grew up, you know, on some strict some strict guidelines, you know, my father, I remember him telling me that when you move out, you can't move back in, you know, you're really on your own. So you need to be sure there's a decision you want to make. Wow. <clears throat> so at the time I thought that this was what I wanted to do. Um, but was I really ready? Apparently not because I still was immature in certain areas of my life. Um, and so the one thing I didn't want to do is <clears throat> to go back to live back with my father and to have to live under his rule and, and right. deal with that. And so I, I, you know, I made some poor decisions in life and, you know, took shortcuts to try to get ahead and to sustain myself out in the community. And as a result, um, unfortunately, I found myself incarcerated. <clears throat> wow. Well, Steuben, thank you for um, sharing your story with us, because a lot of listeners today that listen to Thank God for Monday are young people and are students or recent grads who, you know, might find themselves in a similar situation. So we do appreciate you sharing your story and bringing hope uh, and inspiring others in, in realistic ways because you've been there. Right. And you mentioned that, um, you know, unemployment, unfortunately, we're facing a lot of that today as well. Um, and it seems like at that time you were facing that situation and then you made some choices, you know, that weren't optimal at the time. Do you mind sharing more about that? No. Um, so <clears throat> just, you know, to add some contents to how I got to that point in my life, you know, I grew up uh, for the most part in a single parent household. You know, my mother passed away when I was five years old. Uh, my father raised me the rest of the way out on his own. Um, I have other siblings that are much older than I. So I really grew up in the house with just my father in those projects that I mentioned to you, Farragut Projects, which isn't far from, from St. Francis. Um, but, you know, my circumstances are probably similar to many other people you may come across. But um, and then there are some people that they may differ from. But. My circumstances was that I grew up uh, with a father who struggled with alcohol addiction. 
Um, fortunately, my father was one who, although he drank a lot, he always kept the job. He was always respectable. He was very well kept. He wasn't in the streets, mm-hmm. you know, drinking that way, you know, but at home, he would drink a lot. And, you know, growing up in those teenage years and having to see that and not really always agreeing with it. And then at times having arguments with my father, uh, most of the time while he was under the influence, you know, um, I, I did not feel as if, um, I didn't feel so welcomed in the house, so to speak. Like I, I you know, we, we, we had a lot of conflict when things were good, they were great. Right. But mm-hmm. it was a lot of times that we had a lot of arguments. And so at a young age, I struggled with this need to feel like important to feel like um, a little more valued, not constantly having to be in conflict with the one person that, that I had to depend on to, mm-hmm. to raise me and stuff. So, you know, um, that, not to mention that I also had challenges out in the community, you know, um, with even some of my own friends, you know, um, everybody's struggling to be the better person. And so, you know, there was always uh, challenges with that growing up and, you know, fights here and there, you know, as a young, young child, a young adult, um, so to speak, teenager, that I developed this need to, 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 to feel important and to, to feel of more value, to be loved and stuff. And so I started seeking those things in other places. Um, and, and one of those places that I thought I was receiving it from was through my involvement in gang affiliation. You know, I had, I had became gang affiliated at a very young age and I always considered myself to be pretty bright. So even while being in the midst of my gang affiliation, I also thought that I can outthink those people mm. because for the most part, a lot of them were probably not as educated as me. Not to say that I was, you know, I was the smartest. I wasn't Einstein, right? Cause we were talking about, you know, just recently graduating out of high school and stuff. But when I would, you know, walk through certain communities and see people who at the time were wear certain, you know, things like maybe beads or something that would indicate who they were, mm-hmm. you know, how they would not even know one another and come and hug each other and, have conversations around matters that were, you know, relevant to them, but they seemed to, although they didn't know each other, the conversations were the same. And I, I, I was like kind of fascinated by that a little bit. Like, how is it that this person doesn't know this person, but they know the same conversations? And, um, you know, and that's because of meetings that they would have. And, and so there was a lot of communication going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I tried to, stay clear of the real negative parts of it because the way I was introduced to it was that the this family so to speak was was to fight against oppression it's just the usual thing right the fight against oppression mm-hmm. to make better conditions for our people and stuff and so I was all for that um, but then I I happened to cross paths with people that were very influential in that gang affiliation and that had a lot of um, power, so to speak, right? They had the ability to make decisions and say, these are the things that are going to happen and people would just comply. And it was not my intent to to connect with those folks, but unfortunately I did. Um, And so at that point of my involvement, things really got really bad for me because then I found myself going out, um, 
to do things that I shouldn't be doing, right? Um, and uh, as a result, um, I found myself carrying a gun, things like that. And uh, it, it, I started doing robbery, something that I'd never done before. Um, part of that was not only because of my gang affiliation, but also my need to pay my bills. Because remember, I told you I had got laid off, right. I had an apartment, first time living on my own, um, had too much pride, couldn't find myself asking um, mm-hmm. my, my father to give me money because of I could already see him saying, I told you you wasn't ready to live on your own. Now you figure it out. And and. Again, because of my pride, I just made some bad choices that I knew I should not have made. And um, unfortunately, those decisions led me to commit a robbery that further escalated to someone losing their life. And so as a result of that, um, I was incarcerated. Uh, I was sentenced to 18. Well, I was sentenced to 15 years, um, but I was denied at the parole board. And then um, nearly 18 years later, I was blessed through the grace of God, to be given an opportunity to atone for those behaviors once again back in the community. Because, you know, um, you know, if you ask some folks, some people, you know, the, the reality of, of the situation and something I was prepared for was that I always said to individuals that I was incarcerated with that a lot of us speak about change. We say that we change people. We say that we're ready to go back to the community. But sometimes in your behaviors, we say something different. And so I tell them if, you know, because of maybe the lack of insight that some of these folks may have, I tell them, let me add some clarity to what I mean by that. So this means that if I'm going to say that I'm changed and I accept responsibility, that means that I have to accept the fact that when I go before a parole board, the parole commissioners may feel that I might not have did enough time for the crime committed. All right. That's very hard to accept, right. but especially in a climate where we had a governor who was very tough on crime. You know, we're talking about Governor Pataki at the time. Um, things tend to change when, um, when, when, when we had a new governor come in place. Um, but again, that was very challenging, you know, for people to accept the fact that, you know, the reality is that some commission may feel you may not have done enough time or, people in a community who might feel like you should never be given an opportunity to be, to live in a community ever again for what you did. And so, you know, that means that I should be able to go before a board, a parole board, if they deny me as hard as it sounds, be able to walk away from it, understanding that, you know what, while some of us may feel like they're not playing fair because they're denying us for no reason. And we may have done a lot of different things. You, the reality is that you have to accept the fact that when we were out in the community doing the things that we were doing, we were not being fair neither, right? And so while we were running in the community, victimizing people and doing things like that, you know, threatening public safety, that was not right neither, right? So now that we're in the position, in the situation to where the ball's under the court, someone else has this power over us and this authority, we're just not ready to accept it. And so... That was the thing I used to tell people lies to be like, listen, you know, when you tell me, you know, that you accept responsibility, that means that you have to be able to walk away knowing like, listen, you know, I, you know, I should have been granted a chance for release, but I got to understand that, you know, there are going to be some people who don't feel that way about it, you know, and I also tell them, while I feel this way today, I can't tell you 
after four or five parole denials, whether I would still feel the same, because then, of course, then it becomes some level of uh, animosity and right. some, some resentment there. And then I start to harbor those feelings as well. So I can only speak of how I'm feeling at the moment. And so that was my thing. And like I said, I've been very fortunate um, to be released um, and given an opportunity to atone for those things. And and I, and it's for those reasons and more why I value the work that I do, you know. And so, you know, um, I currently work, like you said, um, uh, in the introduction, I work for the Osborne Association. Um, the Osborne Association is an organization that provides services to people with criminal justice involvement. So we're speaking about people that's either on, who have been in conflict with the law on a state, uh, New York state, so to speak, state, uh, city, or even federal levels. Um, these are folks who have maybe just had a small running with the law where it was just an arrest and they were released. Um, and to the point of an extreme where some folks may have been incarcerated for as long as three or possibly four decades. And so, you know, I find it gratifying to be able to help bring about a change within those individuals who have found themselves entangled with the criminal justice system, just as I have. And so those things have helped um, nurture me and helped spark um, the direction in which I felt that I can probably be most useful in, you know, as a credible messenger and someone who looks to help bring about change. Um, and the Osborne Association has been a home for me to be able to do that. Um, because the mission is something that I really believe in, you know. Um, and so, yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of like how things have evolved for me. That, you know? uh, that's an incredible story, certainly, as Dubin, you're sharing with us today. We're going to talk more a little bit about the Osborne Association. But I have a question because on a recent Thank God for Monday show, our guest shared all about the poor conditions in our jails in New York State. Uh, share with us, please, Stuben. Were they as bad as advertised? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of people really don't, you know, they're not aware of what that's like inside because they never um, have found themselves in a situation to where they had to go through those experiences, thank God, right? Um, however, um, they're not the best. Um, most of those facilities are corroded, old, um, depressing, you know, just the, in the design itself. I mean, taking into account, you know, that people are incarcerated is depressing and as, as it is, right? And, you know, perhaps in its design, it was meant to add more of that, to have that much more of an impact to where people just feel like, if you don't want to live under these conditions, you know, living inhumane, then don't commit crime as a deterrent, right? Because, I mean, that's what it was thought to be, right? Incarcerate people as a deterrent, punishment as a deterrent, um, and stuff like that. But they really, you know, what goes on in those prisons, a lot of that is not known to the public, you know? Um, you know, you, 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 I've seen, you know, you figure, you know, nearly 18 years, one consistent incarceration with all those years I've seen a lot I've seen um and I won't paint every staff every correctional staff um in the negative right because there are some that were very positive 
that were very um, invested in seeing people grow and better themselves. You know, um, I've had officers write letters um, for the parole board on my behalf, speaking about um, what they've observed in my rehabilitation and how they felt that comfortable with vouching for me, which speaks volumes of those, right? Because if everybody felt differently about it, then I would never have gotten it. And not to mention that this is in a, in a, in a culture where it could be frowned upon as a correctional staff as being inmate friendly and you're not one of us. And so, you know, it's that, that separation there. Um, however, you know, food is bad. Um, you know, oftentimes not really seasoned, um, food because you can't cater to the taste buds of every person that's coming to there, right? So you get salt and you get pepper and you can do that how you want to do it. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been in Rikers Island in a long time. I left Rikers Island in 1997. Um, but, you know, I still believe from participants that come to our programs that they still can't cook over there, their own food. They have to go to the cafeteria. Um, and then they get, they have the privilege of buying food from commissary, which is often junk food, potato chips, cakes, maybe some soups, like cup soups, um, crackers, but not, not the nutritional like chicken and, well, I mean, unless that changed, but that's how I remember it. I just wanted to go back quickly to something you have mentioned. You said you've been attending programs, you developed programs, facilitated programs. Um, I wanted to ask about Rising Hope program. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so the Rising Hope program was a program that was afforded to us in Fishkill Correctional Facility. And I believe there were some other facilities um, that were in the lower hubs. The hub meaning um, correctional facilities that surround, you know, a maximum facility jail, but in, in the, in, in the lower, um, closer to the city, those f- facilities, particularly the mediums, um, there was a program called the Rising Hope program that was sponsored by Boricua College. And so they had professors and people that were qualified to teach, um, a lot of the curriculum that the school offered. And so, um, they had this pro that they had the Rising Hope program, and that was my first opportunity to begin to educate myself on a college level um, while being incarcerated. Uh, I, w- I went to prison during a time, like I said, that one of the previous governors was in was in office, Governor Pataki, who took away colleges, um, you know, from you know, the prison system because of uh, the beliefs that there was a lot of money being spent there and that people were getting college educations for free and a slew of different reasons, right, why um, they felt the need to take it out, while other people advocated that it's a great <clears throat> um, tool used for rehab- towards rehabilitation, right? Helps, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, rehabilitate folks. And I always say school, you know, education, academia requires a certain level of discipline, right? A person just can't sit in there and just be present and think that they're going to pass because there's tests that have to be taken. There are papers that have to be written. Class participation is part of the grades. If you look at the syllabuses, right? So, you know, um, and, and it's something that you don't just do. Like in, in, in prison, the programs might be a two-week program, a 30-day program, maybe a 90-day program, but it's only one day a week. 
So it might be one day a week for 10 weeks or 12 weeks. So you're talking about 12 classes um, that doesn't require homework and things like that. It just requires you to be there and sign an attendance sheet. Much different from the academic world, right? Where you have to be present, you have to do this work. So, but the Rising Hope program um, uh, provided me with a platform to start that journey in academia for me, right? Because while I was in high school, I did like a co-ed schooling thing where I was in high school, like two days or three days out the week. And then the other two days I was going to Kingsborough College. Um, but yeah. again, I didn't sit in a classroom. I was, uh, I think the, I think the class I was taking was, um, marine biology or something. And so I was on a boat. They required me to do no fighting or nothing. Um, and so I did that for one semester. I got whatever three credits. They gave me a D. They gave me three credits. We all know a D grade doesn't, it's not really transferable, right? But, um, that didn't amount to nothing. So it was the Rising Hope program that actually started that process. And in it, I was able to acquire 36 credits from them. So it was a year, it was a, a, a year of, um, uh, we, what we got was a certificate in ministry and human services. So we went five days a week. Each day of the week was a different class. So we had two semesters of it. Um, and at the end of it all, we've obtained 36 credits. A lot of its curriculum was, in the beginning, I was hesitant because I didn't have that discipline to be reading chapters and books. You know, I was a person that give me a newspaper or a magazine. I could do that fast, right? Um, but to be reading about theology, that was something I was like, I don't want to do theology. <laughs> and And to my surprise, and I tell people this all the time, that I've taken some classes in theology that blew my mind, I, like opened my mind to so many different things that I was not aware of. And so <clears throat> I remember when, when I first signed up, we had to, you know, we had to write essays and we had to do certain processes so they could filter out who they thought were the strongest candidates. And I did really want, well I got accepted. But I remember the professor on the first day saying, one thing about this course is that it's either going to strengthen your faith or it's going to break it. And so, you know, I went in with, you know, I took it for what it was. And um, I remember the professor saying that, you know, um, this is a, this is 21 people in this class this is the biggest class he has ever seen, you know, um, at one time, you know, in, in prison, he's like biggest class I've ever seen, you know, um, he said, however, although this is the biggest class, one thing I know is that all 21 of you are not going to complete. He said, but that's okay, though. He says, you know why? He said, because the world needs porters, too. He said, everybody's <laughs> not built for academia, right? Everybody's not built for this for this academic challenge that's going to be before them. And that's understandable. You know, he said, because, again, the world needs porters, too. I never forgot that. And for me, I was like, that's not going to be me. And I went hard the entire year. Like, I mean, I was staying up one, two, three in the morning doing papers. Oh, Every day we had to read chapters and return the next day with a reflection paper for whatever that class was, because every class was designed that way. Right. So 
it was a lot of work, you know, it was a lot of work. And um, I did so well that I literally made it through there with straight A's. So I had like A pluses, A minuses, A's. Wow. And I was very fortunate to be the valedictorian of my class. That was a huge accomplishment for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now we saved the most important question for last, and that is how can our lawyer listeners best contact you for more inspiration and information about the field of social work? Yeah, so um, what I would say is that um, there's, you know, the, the one way you can find me is on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Steuben Vega. Um, I'll spell it out in case anybody doesn't have it. That's S-T-E-U-B-E-N. My last name is Vega, V-E-G-A. I'm going to create a Facebook account today, a professional one, so that I can um, use that as a platform for me to 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 do more of the work. But I think the best way to reach me is to reach me at my job email, which is S Vega. So it's S V E G A at Osborne. And I'll spell that out. O S B O R N E N Y.org. Listener sadly, once again, right of time, Helena, Gina, brother Greg saying our hope and prayer is that. When you wake up on Monday morning, just like Steuben does, you'll say, thank God for Monday.